friends, this is Josh Blair, and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church, and this is our podcast. My prayer for the message you hear today is that it will inspire you and encourage you to walk closer with Jesus this week. If you want to stay connected with us, please check us out at CBC Madera, both on Facebook and Instagram. And you can check out our YouTube channel, Central Valley Church. Thanks for listening. Man, I am uh, I'm glad to be here. Uh, yeah, Josh and I go way back. Um, you know, I'll tell you this. You need people in your life. This has nothing to do with the message. You need people that are with you in the ebbs and flows of life. Pay very close attention to who sticks with you when everything falls apart. Because those are the people that God has sent. Don't pay so much attention to those that are next to you when everything's on top. But pay close attention to those people that are next to you when everything falls apart. Those that will tell you what you need to hear. Those that will look you in the eye when you need to be looked in the eye. Those that will love you regardless. Um, and that's who Josh and Faith are. That's who your pastors are. Um, and so in my life, that's who they are. Um, you'll see their strength in your life. If you're new here or if you've been here a long time, you will see that. But God sends people in your life for reasons. Pay attention to those people. We need people more than we realize. Um, we need Jesus more than we realize, but we need the people that God sends in our life more than we realize, and that's who they are to us. Well, I'm here, and I'm not here to just talk about everybody, but I'm here to talk about Jesus. So can we talk about Jesus tonight? Um, just to get adjusted, let me tell you a little bit about myself. I am a pastor at Cornerstone. Um, I do what I'm told. They tried to throw up a title. I don't care about a title. So I do what I, I'm told. Um, I come from a great family as long learned to do what Josh and Faith have learned to do, and that's just so into the city that God has called them to, and that's all we're doing. We're just doing whatever God calls us to do on any given day, um, and I'm so grateful to be a part of that. Um, I am a PK, so that means I'm a pastor's kid. I grew up in this thing. There were times in my life where I was an ungrateful little brat that didn't understand what God was doing in his family's life or in the life of our city, but now as I've matured a little bit, got some gray hairs, I've realized I am what a privilege it is to be a part of a move of God, to be a part of a city um, that God has planted you in, just like your, pastor, your pastors could have been in other places, but they've chosen to be here. They have planted themselves here because when God says to be somewhere, you listen. You listen, and so I'm grateful to be a part of that. I am, uh, I am a uh, middle child, so I'm a PK, and I'm a middle child. I'm an older sister and a younger brother. My younger brother is a police officer. He's a police officer in the Bay Area, so he had some rough times this last year, but God is using him because he believes that his job is to serve his community as well in the same facet that we do it, just in a different uniform. Um, and so that's my brother. And then I have a sister. And my sister, I'm telling you all this for a reason. My sister is older than I am. We're two years apart, but she, she, her job is to deliver all of the grandkids. All of the grandkids right now. So that is her job and me and my brother tell her that your job is to deliver the grandkids and let us live our life where we are so that my parents can have their grandkids that they want and then we as siblings, the brothers, can do what we want to do. Um, and so I have, I have niece and nephews. I have an older nephew that's not up there right now. I'm going to show some pictures of the younger ones because he's 13. He just turned 13. Not him. 
Uh, yeah, not him and not her. But he just turned 13, and he would be mad if I shared a picture with you guys of him. He's at that age. He's got braces. He's got pimples coming on his face. We pick on him. He is taller than me now, wears a size 14 shoe. I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to pick on him, but I have a 13-year-old nephew, and then I have these two. I have these two, and let's show, um, can we show the other one first? Let's show uh, Vera Grace. So this is Vera Grace, and she is cute when she wants to be. She's cute when she wants to be. That means she's not cute all the time. She's cute when she wants to be. Right here, she wanted to be cute. This is Vera Grace. She's three. We're all, it's, it became a family uh, event. You see her dad in the background. We were putting up a playset. None of us have ever put up a playset before, but Vera Grace wanted a playset, so we all came to the rescue. And then you can go to the next picture, which is probably my favorite, and this is Dirk. This is Dirk Russell. Um, and he's helping us. He picked up a tool. He's using the tool the wrong way, but he's helping. Um, and this is dirty. Here's, here's why I tell you this, because I don't have kids, but I've been around kids a lot. My role in life right now is to be the best uncle that they have because I'm competitive with my brother. So me and him, and he lives out of town, so I skin, I, I win more points. I get to go see them more. I'll take pictures and selfies with them and send them to him to make, them, make him upset. Um, and we're at a little bit of a war, but I, my goal is to be a good uncle and to be the best uncle that they have because that's the role that God has placed me in in my life. But I've learned some things being around, especially these two, Dirk and Vera, but we can keep it on Dirk, is they cry a whole lot. Like a lot. And I'm not used to it. I don't live in the house. Like, I'm not. I just show up. And when they start crying, I leave. Like, I just, it's not my job. It's not my job. And so I'm there when they're happy, and they start crying. Well, Dirk specifically has started to cry more often. He was the quiet, cute baby for about 12, 13 months. And then he realized the power of a cry. And he realized, if I just cry... At a certain point or a certain time, I'll get a response. And so he cries, and then he gets a response. And then he cries, and he gets a response. And then when nobody gives him a response, he cries a whole lot louder and a whole lot more. That's Dirk. He's 18 months now, and he knows how to cry. He talks a little bit, but he really has mastered crying. And I started to try to solve the solution because I want to be the best uncle that there is. So I want to jump in and, oh, he's crying. What can I do? I can go play with him or what can I? And I am always wrong at what he wants or what he needs because I don't know the types of cry that he's giving. But if I'm around my sister, I've learned something that it doesn't take long for her to listen to his cry and to understand what he wants. That from across the room, if he cries a certain cry, which uncle can't tell, his mom can tell he's hungry. His mom can tell, oh, he just, he needs to have his diaper changed. His mom can tell he's tired. Because there's different types of cries. And when you're in a relationship with a baby, you start to be able to define the type of cry that they have. Do you know that you and I have different cries? The way that we live our life, the things that come out of our mouth, start to show different things about what we want by how we cry. And you're like, I don't cry. Besides you, we all cry. And I'm with you. I'm the big baby too. I'm over there like trying to find a corner when worship happens so nobody sees me crying. But we all have cries. And maybe it's not wet works and water works, whatever. 
But it is a longing from your soul that something needs to change. And you verbalize it in such a way to get others' attention. I think we're all guilty of that. I think we can look back over this last week, over this last month, or maybe even over the last 24 hours and realize, yeah, I have cried a little bit. It may not have been just like my nephew Dirk, but you've cried a little bit to know, I need to verbalize that something in my life needs to change. Well, today I want to tell you about a story of some men that cried and they got a response. But they got a response from Jesus. Can we, can we go there? Luke chapter 17. Luke 17, verse 11. I think they have it up there so that you guys can see it behind me when they get there. Luke 17, 11. If you've got your Bibles, turn to it while we're turning there. Okay, good. We're there. I'm going to read it. Luke 17, 11 says this. And we're going to go all the way through to 19. While traveling to Jerusalem, he, he being Jesus, passed between Samaria and Galilee. He entered a village, and as he entered a village, sorry, ten men with leprosy met him, and they stood at a distance. Let me read the one that you've got so that we're all on the same page. And lifted up their voices, saying, they stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he, being Jesus, saw them, he, being Jesus, said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, one, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to me, he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. I'm going to change that last word just a little bit to be a little bit more accurate. That that statement says your faith has made you whole. We've read this story of 10 men who have, on, their, on Jesus' journey to go from one city to another city, because Jesus walked everywhere. Jesus didn't have Uber. Jesus didn't have Lyft. Jesus didn't have friends that had cars. No, he walked everywhere. Could you imagine walking everywhere right now in the heat of the day? We're over here complaining about semi-cool, but Jesus was outside all the time. And because of culture, they didn't walk at night, which would have been so smart. They walked a day in the heat of the day. And Jesus is in one of these days because climate there is a lot like climate is here. It's dry and hot all the time. And so Jesus is walking, and as he's going to another village, on the outside of town, there's these 10 men. These 10 men, they were lepers. To be honest with you, it would be more accurate to say there was a community of outcasts, and we're highlighting 10 of them. Because as you go to a village, before you get to the village, there's going to be a community of unwanted people from that village that no people in that village but are sitting outside of the village. For whatever circumstance, whatever disease, whatever situation that caused them to be outcast, there would have been a community of people that were on the outside of town just waiting and hoping that they would be let back into the village. So when Jesus walks by these 10 men, he's not just walking by 10 men. He's walking by a large community of outcasts, and 10 of them happen to get his attention. 
a large community of people that aren't where they think they should be, aren't where they hope to be, haven't yet arrived at the place that their dreams and visions want them to be, are in a different spot than they ever thought they would be. You know, I, I know there's times in my life where I felt like I was in that group. That because of my doings or because of the doings of others that affected me and created an issue within my life that had put me on the outside of whatever my dreams were, whatever my goals were, whatever my hopes were, whatever relationships were right around me, that was these people. Can you, ever, can you put yourself in that position? Those times where you felt like nobody else is around you. Why do I feel left out and alone? Why do I feel like I'm the outcast and the one that's distant from everybody else? Where is Jesus? Forget Jesus at this moment. Where are my family? Where's my loved ones? Why am I alone? That was this community. And every day they would have to watch people on the main road walk into the city that they hoped that they would live in. They would have to watch people walk in and walk out with joy on their face, with gladness as they exit to a place that they hoped to be, but they never were. And that's not unlike us. We've got spaces in our life that we, even today, you sitting here may go, I, I feel that about some certain people, that they're doing the things that I wish I could do, but I could never do that because I got an issue, because I got a problem. I got a problem people know about, and I got problems that people don't know about. But you got issues that have let you, left you feeling outcast. But now in this story, we hear ten men. Ten men. Ten men get Jesus' attention. What separates these ten men from the rest of the community? I mean, Jesus is all about healing. All about healing. Why wouldn't Jesus have walked into this crowd and said, you get, you get healed, you get healed, you get healed, like we hear from Oprah? He could have done that. There's multiple times in the New Testament that we read that Jesus healed the masses. That he stood out there all day healing all who wanted. Why didn't Jesus do that? Sometimes Jesus is waiting on us. And yet there's ten men, specifically ten men, that the Bible talks about did something other than what the other outcasts were waiting on. You know, the community that the outcasts were in were used to begging. They're used to sitting on the side of the road from whatever distance because of the rules and the cultural law that was there. But they were yelling at people walking by, can you just give me a handout? Can you just, can you share something? Drop some food, drop some change, whatever you got so that I can eat. They were used to beckoning and begging, but Jesus wasn't looking for somebody to just beckon another walker by. Jesus wasn't looking for somebody to just beg and hope that it would be the answer. Jesus was looking for something different that these ten men did. And these ten men were tired of where they were. And they said, I've just got to try something. Sometimes the best thing that you can do to create change in your life is try something new. Because I, I can't tell you that these ten men were just like, I wholeheartedly believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's going to do what he said he's going to do, that he knew all of the theological background, that he knew everything that was going to come, the prophecy to be fulfilled. I couldn't tell you that, but I could tell you is they were tired of sitting on the outside of what they had hoped for, and they said, we tried everything else. we got to try something new. What I can guarantee is that they would have heard that Jesus was coming. They may not have known who Jesus was, but they would have known what Jesus could do. And some of you are here today because you, not because you really know who Jesus is and you hear us talk about him in worship, but because you know of what Jesus could do. Because somebody's told you 
what God's done in their life because Jesus, because somebody has shown you the change and the revolution that God has created within their situation because they met Jesus and you're just like, well, let me try them. These 10 men tried Jesus. If you can leave anything tonight, try Jesus. You're like, well, I think I know him. No, 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 you don't, you don't, you don't just think you know you don't casually talk about an encounter with Jesus. You've either had one or you haven't. It's, it's life-altering. So if, you, if you're sitting back there saying, well, I'm not sure if I've engaged with him, then try Jesus some more. Because he will revolutionize your life. And these ten men get up, is what the text tells us, is that they get up and that they, they walk towards Jesus. Let's see, can we put that, that verse back up there so we can walk through it? Because I want them to see it. I think seeing what God says in the Bible is so powerful, not just hearing it from somebody's word. Luke 17, I know they're working on it back there. Verse 12 says, let's go to the next one on his way to Jerusalem. And at verse 12, and as he entered a village, he was met with 10 lepers who stood at a distance. They were doing social distancing before we were doing it. So they started the trend. We can blame them. They stood at a distance because culturally they had to because of their issue. And I grew up in church and sometimes I felt on Sundays or on Wednesday nights that I had to come to Jesus at a distance. Because even my own issues, God wasn't able to handle. I needed to take care of my issue before I could, before it was culturally appropriate. You're like, what are you talking about? You're in a church. Yeah, sometimes we have these cultures within our four walls that tell us clean up and then come to Jesus. And so these men wanted to, to respect the distance of their uncleanliness and his cleanliness. And they said, we're going to stand at a distance. And here's what it says. And they stood at a distance and lifted up their voices. These grown men cried out to Jesus. They, they didn't. Jesus, hey, Jesus, got some time? Can I get on your appointment? Got a moment? Let me text you later. Can you just, can we just do that? That's not what the text says. Our English translation of this does not do it justice. The correct phrase would say that they yelled at Jesus or they cried like dirt cries. They needed to get his attention. He wasn't just some random passerby, or he was somebody that could do something about their current situation. What this was was a desperate cry for help. It was, I'm going to cry until I get his attention. When was the last time that you were so desperate for change in your life that you cried out to Jesus in a way that you wouldn't stop until it got his attention? We are so used to casual Christianity that if it doesn't fit in my 30-minute comfort zone of whatever my prayer time or my Bible study looks like, then I just start to blame a holy God for not getting my attention. But these 10 men had been begging for who knows how long in their life. And this moment, they had an opportunity to have everything changed and they weren't missing their moment how many of us have missed our moment because we refuse to get desperate about change because the first cry that we see in this text is a desperate cry a cry of desperation it's a i need help i remember being younger and standing outside at 12 years old, and my brother's five years younger than I am, and we were walking around the pool, and I was upset about something that my parents had told me I couldn't do or whatever. And my young, uh, actually it would have been younger than that, because he's five years younger than me. He would have been about three, so I would have been about eight or nine. And I was upset, whatever, being a brat. And my brother was doing something around the pool that he should not have been doing, and he fell in. Um, 
And I remember reacting, just reacting, not thinking, reacting at eight, nine years old because he cried. It was a, I'm falling. It was, hey, it was Nate. It was Bubba. Remember that moment. And he didn't know how to swim. And I jumped in in response to his desperate cry because he needed help. It was a spot in his life that he couldn't have gotten out of if it wasn't for me. To this day, I get into these pools with my brother and we're hanging out and he's bigger than I am now as an officer and all this stuff. But when we sit in water together at a swimming pool, there's a moment that we go, there's a moment that you needed my help. And I showed up. It was a help. It was a cry for desperate, it was a cry of desperation that said, I need help. You know that Jesus is not waiting for you to be perfect. He's just needing, he's just waiting for you to recognize that, that you need him. And so many of us want life to get put together before we acknowledge who he is. But Jesus is just saying, why don't you just start with help? Because I could change your life if you just started with help. If you just started with Jesus. Jesus. And the text tells us they said, Jesus, have mercy on us. Change our life. We're in a, they felt like they were in a position because of the bad things they had done or the, the, their parents had done culturally and the religious laws have told them that they need mercy shed upon them. But they didn't need mercy. They needed a gracious hand of God extended toward them. They needed Jesus to do something for them that they didn't deserve, not withhold something from them that they did deserve. Their desperate cry got Jesus' attention. You're waiting to get Jesus' attention, and he's waiting to see how desperate are you for the change that you need in your life, in your family, in your situation. It comes from a deep-rooted cry, not a casual cry. Casual cries get nobody's attention. I showed you a picture of Vera Grace. She casually cries. She's three. She thinks she can manipulate the whole situation. She will cry until you give her what she wants, but it's not a cry. It's a casual cry. It's an irritation. It's a check off the box. I can get a reaction. And some of us are coming to church. Some of us are watching online. Some of us are engaging with God's word casually just to see if we get a reaction. He's not looking for you to engage with him casually in a way to just get a reaction. He's looking to change your life. It starts with desperation. How bad do you want it? These ten men wanted it so bad. They wanted desperation in a way. They wanted to, to get back into their homes. They wanted to see their family. They didn't want to be outcasts anymore. They wanted to go the way God would have called them or shaped them to be. They wanted to get out of it, and they knew that Jesus was the only one that could help, and so they cried out to Jesus. And here's what Jesus tells them. Go. At a distance, Jesus is with them, and I've read some amazing stories about what Jesus has done, how he's touched and how he spit in mud and how he's put things on eyes and how he's restored the dead but with these men he does not touch them and yet he can he tests them and some of us are waiting for a touch from God and he's just giving you a test to see how serious you are because because his response to them is go and show yourself to the priest. Why would he do that? Because in order for you to get past, to, to, to be able to be allowed to get back into the city, you had to pass a test by the priest that you were clean and that you wouldn't get anybody sick anymore. So you had to go stand before the high priest and they had to affirm that your life was whole again, that you were healed, that you were no longer sick. Leprosy was a big deal. It was the kiss of death. It was like nobody wanted to touch you. It was the plague of the day. It was super infectious, and they needed to pass a test. Well, Jesus wanted to see where their faith would pass a test, so he didn't heal them in the moment. He healed them on the journey because he says, go and show yourself. And the text tells me that, and while they went, 
they were cleansed. Which means they had to have been outside of the city and go to the center of the city, which would have been a long journey. And immediately they weren't healed, but on the journey they were healed. That they had to take steps of faith. That before it looked like they were healed, they had to believe that they were healed. Before it looked like everything was better, they had to believe that everything would be better. Before everything was put back in its place, they had to believe that it would be put back in its place. If they did what Jesus said. According to God's word, not according to their feeling, not according to culture, but as they were obedient to God's word, they were cleansed. And so much of what we do with Jesus is in the here and now and not in the next. Your healing is here. It's not there. We want to wait till Jesus shows us that our life is made whole before we do anything faithful for him. And God says, no, be faithful. And let me show you how healing works in your life. And I'm not just talking about external healing. Some of you may need external physical healings, but but a lot of the times we've got deep-rooted things that are in our lives and we don't believe we could ever be healed, so we never move towards where God has called us to move because we're waiting for the sign before we do what God has asked us. He said there was a process. You know, I read a lot and I get excited to read about miracles in the moment. But I realize there's a lot of stories that tell me that Jesus isn't just about miraculous moments. But he is a whole lot about miraculous momentum. What I mean by that is that as we, in our now, Hebrews 11, take faith for what it is, taking a step before what we see is visible, he starts to create a miracle in our life that gets us taking another step. He's not concerned about the 10th step as much as he's concerned about your next step. Just saying, okay, I'm going to be faithful right now. And so many of us are so consumed by what we're going to end up being when God's like, just just worry about where you are now. Because if you could just take one step, then you'll have the faith to believe that you could take another step. Stop, stop worrying about the change in your mind and your heart for 10 weeks down the road and just be faithful with what God has asked you to do right now, today, where you're at. Because it was a process. And the process in the journey, healing took place. I look back at my life and I would never imagine that I am where I am. By the bumps of the road, the trips that I, I've taken, the, the, the things that I've fallen over. I, I wouldn't imagine that I'm where I'm at. But if I, if I remember how I got here, it was just by saying, today I need to be faithful. You may look at me and go, man, you just probably had life all together and you've had it handed to you. No, I haven't. I've had some bad things done to me and I've done some bad things. The way I got to where I'm at is by being faithful on a daily basis to what God had called me to do that day. What he asked me to be that day. What he asked me to see that day. These ten men were healed. A miraculous healing because they took God at his word. Jesus at his word and did it step by step. There's healing ready for you right now. You just got to take a step. There's change ready for you in your life today. But you... Just like I have to take a a step. They took a cry of desperation and then Jesus created a response. And their response created this momentum that they started walking towards the priest. And then the text turns. And the text tells us, but one of them realized he was healed on the journey. One of them. One of the nine. He doesn't tell me he was the first. It doesn't tell me he was the middle. It doesn't tell me he was last. It doesn't tell me that all of them happened at one time. It just tells me that one of them recognized healing. And then it, what does it say? It says that he went back to Jesus. 
He went back to Jesus. Some guy that he's never spent any time with, other than this moment of go and show yourself to the priests, other than this cry of desperation. It's, he doesn't have family ties. He doesn't... He really doesn't even have theological ties because he's a Samaritan. And Samaritans would tell us that, that Jesus isn't the Messiah, but they're supposed to worship a mountain that their father Jacob told them to, that it would have been all split, and he wouldn't have belonged with that crowd and belonged with those people. But Jesus did something that nobody else could do in his life, and so he went back. He went back to where Jesus, Jesus was. And Jesus looks at him and goes, Weren't there 10? I have to ask before I talk about this last cry, what happened to the other nine? Ten lepers were healed that day, but only one returned. It, makes, it brings me to this story that we see just one chapter later in the book of Luke, and it's the story of the rich young ruler. That really had everything going together in his life, Luke chapter 18. And Luke chapter 18, and I don't need to read it. We've got it up there, but I'm just going to skip through it. It tells us a story of this man who had everything going well in his life. He was a ruler, he was young, and he was rich. Everything worked. And he followed the Old Testament law. He did what Jesus did. How do we know that? what Jesus said, what the Old Testament said? Because when he gets to Jesus, he said, what else must I do? Super confident. Shows up to Jesus. What do you got for me? I got this. She says, what do you mean you got this? Did you obey the commandments? All of them, every single one of them, to the T. I can write them, quote them, and read them backwards. What do you want? This rich young ruler with a lot of confidence. Confidence that would shift over to pride. Tells Jesus, what else you got for me? Jesus says, okay, I got something else for you. This conversation with this rich young ruler where he wants to ensure that he's going to heaven. He tells him, okay, I know what I've got. I need you to take the position that you placed yourself in, and I need you to get rid of all of those titles. The power that's in your youth, I need you to let go of it. The power that's in your money, I need you to give it. The power that's in your rulership, I need you to let it go. And then I need you to follow me. What Jesus told this rich young ruler was, I need you to give everything. The Bible tells us in Luke 18 that that rich young ruler looked at Jesus and then looked away and walked away sad. Because what Jesus had requested of him, of everything, couldn't have been done. And I wonder Why? Why? The same situation happening with the nine lepers and this rich young ruler. It was an issue of, it wasn't an issue of healing. It wasn't an issue of perfection. It really was an issue of pride. Rich young ruler turned away because he couldn't let go of everything that he made him to be. And before I try to throw the rich young ruler in, under the bus, I've been there. Even as I've tried to be a good Christian boy, I've had conversations with, this, with Jesus like this. But I've done this, and I've done that. He says, that's not what matters. What matters is, are you willing to give everything? And these nine were healed. But they wouldn't let go of everything. 
How do I know that? Because the nine don't come back, they go home. The text doesn't even tell me that they go all the way to the priest. It just tells me that we don't hear of them anymore. They got back into their rhythm of life. They got back into what they wanted to do. Statistics would probably tell me that if they were with somebody that was infectious before, they would probably be with somebody infectious again. They'd probably have the same fallout, the same situation. Of the ten, nine of them went back to their routine life. How many times are we guilty of crying out to Jesus for help and saying, save me, like my little brother asked for help when he was drowning in a pool and we cried, God, save me, and he saves us. And then come Monday, we get back to our routine. And we wonder why change never takes place. Because we're so stuck in crying a cry of desperation, which is help, that we get healed, saved, delivered, but never made whole. So then what stands out about this one, this one leper? So the Bible tells me that this one leper, when he came back, when this one leper came back to Jesus, it said in verse 15, but one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice, The change in his life was evident. Who knows how long this man had been sick, had been an outcast, hadn't seen his kids or his family, hadn't, been, hadn't felt an embrace, didn't, didn't believe that there was ever hope for him. And at the moment that he was healed, it tells us that he returns to Jesus and says, Jesus! Jesus! This is not a cry of desperation. He doesn't need help anymore. This is a cry of adoration. Because he recognizes who Jesus is. What Jesus can do. And more importantly, what Jesus has already done. He doesn't need anything else from Jesus. He just wants Jesus' attention to be grateful. To say thank you. Thank you for saving me. I'm like, what gets us to a spot where we stop and say thank you for where God has brought us to rather than complaining about where, where we're not at? What, what gets us to the point to be grateful for where we are right now is by understanding where we've been. And when we look back at outcasted moments in our life caused by ourselves or caused by others and our, our statistics would tell us that we don't belong where we are, we've got to look back and go, but there was a man named Jesus who engaged in my life on my behalf and he changed me from the inside out. I've got to meet with him again. You know why I show up to church on Sundays? It's because Jesus changed my life. It's not because it's a job. It's not because I get a paycheck. I don't open God's word because I've got to just do these morally, this moral customs that we've come up with culturally. No, it's because Jesus has written about and the man named Jesus changed my life. Countless times. I'm so grateful. This man, this Samaritan, this, this leper cried a cry of adoration, worship. It says in the text that he got down on his knees, put his face to the ground, and said, Jesus. Why would that stand out? Because in that culture, a man would never be vulnerable. He wouldn't give you the back of his head, the back of his neck, or the back of his back. Because he'd be afraid of what you would do with him. But not this man. 
This man knew what Jesus had already done with him that he said, I, I give you everything. So opposite of the rich young ruler who had everything and all Jesus wanted was him. This man who had absolutely nothing said, I'll give you everything because you changed my life. When was the last time you got down on your knees and told God, I'll give you everything? Everything. I don't care what I get back. I've already got you. You changed my life. Because it's the cry of adoration that brings intimacy. It's a cry of desperation that drops us into distance where we just cry cries of help and then we create a distance between and we go back into our own routines and we say, God, I need help again. And then we step on back and we get back into our routine. Desperation creates distance, but adoration creates intimacy. You don't know why when you stand in this room and you see people cry and connect just because they know what God has done with them. That they are so thankful and grateful for, for, for where they are now because they don't deserve to be there. Because they don't deserve to have what they have or get to do what they get to do. And so they connect with the holy God. It's adoration that brings intimacy. Well, how, do I, how, how do I get close to Jesus? You start telling him thank you. I don't know if life is all put together yet. Well, we don't know if this leper's, man, this leper's life was put together. But what Jesus says to him in verse 19, and he told him, get up and go on your way because your faith has made you whole. I believe that God is a healer. But I believe God wants to restore more than he wants to heal. Because restoration talks about a complete healing not just partial. And the words in this text is that nine men were partially healed. One man, one man was made whole. Two different cries, a cry of desperation and then a cry of adoration. This leopard understood who Jesus was. He didn't care what the other nine did. He didn't care what the disciples said. He recognized Jesus. And because he recognized Jesus and Jesus' authority and Jesus' power, Jesus' divinity, it changed something in him that Jesus' own words were, your faith has made you whole. I told you a story earlier about Dirk crying, screaming, and me not being able to define what cry means what, and I still have no idea. But my favorite moments as an uncle... Or when he doesn't want anything from me. But when his sister's going off crazy and doing whatever she wants to do as a three-year-old. And I'm sitting in a chair at their house. He just comes and sits next to me. He's got his little binky in and he's got his big old eyes. And he just kind of smiles and does his thing next to me. I'm not a dad. But I'm an uncle. And I understand that there's something that that little boy gives to me in that moment. It says he, he understands who I am in his life. He understands that there's nothing but positive connection here. There's nothing but protection. That he's in a safe place and that there's joy here. You know that your father's waiting for you to get down on your knees and just sit with him. Stop asking for things. Stop crying about things and just to sit with him. Kenny, I'm going to ask you to come up here and play for a second. Kenny, come play with me. He's going to get on the keys because I don't want y'all as the worship team to miss something. We get so quick to perform. We're so quick to jump in to, to doing this, this church thing. And y'all are doing an amazing job by meeting heaven 
I want to give you an opportunity to meet with Jesus. We've got a room that we don't have to be all crammed in it. But this man, in this story, ran to Jesus and got down in a surrendered position to just thank Jesus. I challenge you today, as we close the night out, as Kenny starts to play, if these guys can turn that up. Can you reach out to Jesus? And not a cry of desperation. And I know you need things. You need him to show up. The great thing is desperation shows the grace of God. God moves in his grace. He's ready to save you, help you. He is never removing his grace from you, no matter how imperfect you are in your life. God's grace comes your direction. But grace is not what he wants all the time. He wants adoration. He deserves adoration. He deserves worship. And our relationship will go past the casual encounters that we have at church if we could just move into a true adoration of who he is. Worship for who he is. Not what he can do. Desperation draws his hand. Adoration connects his heart. Desperation draws us to a provision. Something that you need. And adoration brings us to the presence. We need to adore him for who he is. So I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing one of those songs that you guys sing in worship, but it's not about our words here to lead you. My cry to you is, what has God done in your life that, is, that can cause you to cry a little different tonight? To cry, move from a cry of desperation, but to a cry of adoration. Some of you need to physically get down in a posture of, of worship that you get on your knees and you say, thank you, Jesus. Some of you need to move out of your seat and out of the same aisle that you're accustomed to coming to um, every Sunday or every Wednesday. Some of you need to, need to go worship with your spouse because you're not used to worshiping with your spouse. And we just need to thank God for who he is. Because the reality is, guys, we can cry all we want and God doesn't have to respond. But he loves us more than we would ever love our children. And from the moment, the beginning of this book, the beginning of our failure, he has always been chasing after us. Waiting to respond and engage with a broken humanity. Waiting to engage into your life, waiting to engage in mine. But tonight he needs more than just an engagement. Tonight he needs adoration. And so, Kenny, I'm going to ask you to lead us in that song. And I'm just going to, whatever you want to do to worship God, tonight's your night to say, God, I, I thank you for who you are. Thanks for listening to this message. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel to hear past episodes.